Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager, and this is a podcast uh, about books and the wonderful people who read them and write them. Uh, this is a special chat I'm going to have with Lisa Jewell. Uh, she's a best-selling UK author of over a dozen novels, including Watching You and The Family Upstairs. Her latest has just been released, and it's called Invisible Girl. Lisa joins me over Skype from London, where it's first thing in the morning. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Nice to be here. Good morning. Um, you've first published uh, a book at the end of the 90s, uh, um, a romantic comedy called Rouse Party, um, which became a bestseller. Um, yeah. How were you feeling when that novel was about to go on the shelves? And oh. how are you feeling um, more than a dozen novels later? <laughs> oh, that's a lovely question. That's a really lovely question. Um, yeah, so Rouse Party came out in 1999. I was 31 uh, or just about to turn 31. Um, and it had been the whole experience of having a debut novel published had been a complete roller coaster. And I had that absolute imposter syndrome. I was waiting for everything to go wrong. I I was so uncertain. I thought my editor had made a mistake. I thought my agent had made a mistake. I thought everybody along the process had made a terrible mistake. Um, and I was all about to be shown up for the for the farce that it was. So as much as it was very, I, lo- I lost, I think I lost about a half a stone in the build up to the publication of my first novel because I was so anxious. Um, but yes, yeah, so we're actually um, 18 novels down now. So this is my 18th wow. Invisible Girl. And I, I, I've put on weight. Let's put it that way this time around. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, I, I now just can only see the positive of a publication and feel excited and, um, yeah, sort of. I just look forward to the whole process because I've been through it so many times now, and everything's going so well for me at the moment as well. My last few publications have gone so well that, yeah, my confidence levels are, uh, yeah, I can feel comfortable and relax and enjoy it. So it's wonderful. That's good to hear. Does the imposter syndrome uh, still niggle you at times? Not at the moment, but obviously it's like with everything in life, it's all phases. Mm. So the phase I'm going through at the moment is I'm very, um, yeah, I'm I'm feeling very confident, and um, yeah, I don't I don't have any anxiety at all at the moment about my abilities as a writer or about my career, but come back to me in a couple of years and <laughs> I might be in a completely different place but I'm in a very good place right now that's wonderful to hear um and now obviously we have you know things like ebooks and online bookshops but um I'm sure there's been uh changes in the world of books that have happened in a much more subtle way what's different from when you started out and what's remain a constant um what's different well from my perspective because I've always had traditional publishing deals I've always had an editor so it's for me the actual process of me writing a book me delivering a book my book being published and ending up in bookshops is exactly the same what has really changed for me as a writer is the social media aspect of my my job and my life um I now have to put two hours aside every day as part of my job as a writer to deal with my social media um so that's a massive thing and it's no longer you know I used to have I had a website at the beginning of my career and that was like a nice fun way of keeping in touch with my readers 
Um, but I chose to do that and it was very personal. Um, but now it feels very much like it's a sort of business thing. You know, I'm sort of particularly on Instagram, which my American ed- editor, uh, my, my publicist, not my editor, insisted that I have to go on Instagram because that's how you sell books. That's where all the readers are. That's where all the, 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 yeah, the books are. And does it, yeah. does it feel like part of the job now? Totally. Oh, yeah. Now, I now, yes. So I, when I finish speaking to you now, because it's the morning here, that's mm-hmm. my morning job. The first thing I do is I make myself a cup of coffee and I do my social media. Um, so yeah, so that's a, that's a very that's a very big difference to what, what things were like when I first started publishing. But no, in terms of how my books get into readers' hands, it doesn't feel any different. I feel like a bit of a dinosaur, really. When people ask me about e publishing and how that's impacted <laughs> um, things for me, I, 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 it makes me feel terribly old because I still yeah you know, I still feel quite old school and it still feels the same for me, really. Oh, you must be doing something right, I think. <laughs> um, you've had a, a string of bestsellers over the last few years, um, and they're they're all in the vein of these dark psychological thrillers, um, which is kind of a break from the earlier books for you. Um, what motivated the pivot to thrillers? Have you always enjoyed them? Yes. Yes, thank you for exactly, that's exactly the answer I would have given you. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, as much as I wrote romantic comedies back in the 90s and the early noughties, that was not particularly the genre that I read in or or, or what I enjoyed. I've always liked dark um, novels. I've always liked thrillers. Um, and I just wrote the book that was the book that I needed and wanted to write at that time in my life when I was in my uh, you know, late 20s. That was the book that was ready and waiting for me to write it and it was lovely it was a really feel-good romantic book and it was very funny as well um and but that was a massive bestseller um that was a debut novel um despite my imposter syndrome it did incredibly well in the uk it was in the top three um and it was the best-selling debut novel of the year that it came out 1999 which meant of course that my um my publishers were very very keen for me to to give them more of the same Right. So I kind of, that that was the that was the boat I set out on <laughs> um, from port was the, the romantic comedy boat. Um, but then I've I've sort of meandered my way very, very slowly, almost to the point that if you read all my books from the beginning to the end, you might not even notice meandered very, very slowly from writing romantic comedies through writing family dramas um, and then started to just subtly kill people um and then subtly introduce the occasional police officer um uh, detective into the into the equation and um yeah so it's just been a very very gradual process and luckily I've always had the backing of my my I've had I've been through a few editors over the 20 years of my career but I've always had the backing of whichever editor I've been working with at the time to do as I will and they support me and publish me and make sure that I get you know I get read by the 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 right market um so so at the moment yeah my publishers are now gearing me very much towards the crime the crime area um because that's where I need to be so I've always had that backing which has been amazing so yeah it was never I never woke up one morning thought I'm bored of writing romantic comedies I want to write thrillers it just happened very gradually Mm. who do you like to read in that in that vein 
Oh, um, any new I, writers over the pandemic? Yeah, uh, new new writers. Oh, I've read. Oh gosh, now I'm not going to be able to remember her name. Hopefully, is it here on my reading pile? It's, oh yes, here it is. This was fantastic. It's called The Push by Ashley Ordrain. She's actually American. Um, so that's a debut that's coming out, and I've I, um, in January, I think, which is an amazing sort of a little bit. We need to talk about Kevin type of book um, about a very dark child I love I love things like that Um, so that's that's a new author um, to to me and to everybody Um, but in terms of more established writers in the genre I love Ruth Ware I love Claire McIntosh I love Louise Candlish I love Sabine Durrant Um, I love Tammy Cohen so yes I kind of love my contemporaries really (laughs) Mm. yeah Um, Invisible Girl is a a very taut little thriller um, that all, all almost all happens um, in the same sort of suburban neighbourhood. Um, very, it's a very small, tight novel, but there's a lot for the reader to unpack. Um, and you've interwoven three perspectives to tell it. Um, I'm pretty bad at describing mystery novels without spoiling them. Do you have a, a neat and tidy way of pitching it to people? No, and I really like it when someone's interviewing me and they do it for me. I was like, there you go. I knew there was a really good way of summing this book up and you've just done it because I can never, ever do it. And that's exactly why, because that's why I find it really hard to sum my books up, particularly the last few, is because there are so many layers and so many areas of complexity and there's so much in there. But if I start describing one aspect of it, then it's sort of I've, I've eaten up the whole time I could have used to to explain the book to you by explaining one thread of it. Um, uh, so what I've actually been doing with this book, because every time I try and explain the, the, the big picture, I just get lost and, 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 and I totally lose my way, is to talk about Owen, um, who, because when I was writing this novel, Invisible Girl, it had the working title of Creep. Um, because that was what I wanted to write about. I wanted to write about the creepy guy. I wanted to be the creepy guy because that's what it motivates me to write is the opportunity to, to be other people, to feel what it's like to be somebody else. And I just saw this guy one day on the street and he just looked creepy, but kind of nice. And I felt for him. Um, and I just thought, I bet nothing nice has ever happened to you. I bet women don't like you. And I bet you find life really difficult. Um, so that was who Owen was. So Owen is one of my three characters. And he lives in this very upmarket area of, of London called Hampstead. Um, and he lives opposite this family who've just moved in, which is mum, dad and two teenage children. Um, and they've got a bad feeling about him. And the teenage daughter thinks that he's followed her home from the tube station one night. So they've sort of got their eye on him. Um, and the husband in this family is a child psychologist called Rowan. And he had a patient called Sapphire Maddox, um, who uh, he was seeing, um, trying to help her with self-harming issues. And um, Sapphire Maddox goes missing from outside his house. Um, but Owen, obviously, was uh, li- he lives opposite Rowan and he was the last person to see her alive. So that's the sort of. See, and again, I've gone, I've gone off and, and mangled it and turned it into this big complicated thing because it's so hard to explain. But yeah. it is, you're right. It's about this very claustrophobic little enclave in central London 
where everybody's watching everyone and it's very it's set in january so it's dark all the time and the sun mm. never comes out um and it's just sort of it's creepy and it's unsettling and then there's owen who everybody's looking at owen when sapphire goes missing because he's he's dodgy and mm. he's a creep i'm fascinated that that owen is at the the character of owen is at the core of this novel because you're really slow to take for, for a very fast paced um, page turnery kind of novel. You're, you're quite slow to take us into the interior of this man's world. Um, he's in this yeah. position of extreme isolation um, and it's very much judged and written off by everyone who comes into contact with him, um, including the aunt he still lives with in his, yes. in his thirties. <laughs> yes. Um uh, what you, I guess you, you're showing is that if a person is in a place in society, if they're denied socialization, then they become by default antisocial. And then the question yes. begs, how far can you go? Um, how, how far can that antisocialness go in an individual when yes. taken to its super extreme? Yes, and that's exactly what I wanted to do with Owen. So in the very early chapters of of um, Owen's story, he is called into he works as a, a lecturer at a college um, and he's called in um, to the HR department to be told that there's been a complaint against him from two of his students uh, that he was he acted inappropriately at the Christmas disco. Mm. Uh, so, so they offer him retraining and he says no I don't want to be retrained I don't want this job and he 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 storms off um, and then he goes home and he goes onto the internet and he tries to see what he can find out there in terms of other men who've been unfairly unfairly treated in their place of work and he ends up instead being sucked down this um, rabbit hole of the uh, incel world um, which uh, I know lots of people don't know what the incel world is. Incel is an abbreviation for involuntary celibate. So it's this um, subculture of men who are, we might say, unlucky in love, <laughs> but <laughs> they say, um, you know, socially segregated and um, oppressed. And it's a kind of, it's a political movement, really. Um, and it is the sort of uh, environment where a character like Owen could become radicalised. Uh, you know, there have been terrorist um, attacks as a result of, 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 you know, of incels um, uh, being radicalised. So, yes, yeah, so that was very much what I wanted to do with him was like, there's this sad guy living alone in his uh, living in a, sing, a single bed in his aunt's flat he's never had sex he's never had a girlfriend nobody likes him his dad doesn't like him his aunt doesn't like him his neighbors don't like him and now he's been told that he, he he can't work at his job anymore because his students don't like him and how far would how far would he go and i'm not going to tell you how far he would go yes. because that's a spoiler <laughs> and that's what the reader is witness to and and the sort of dread fear of what he might be capable of doing yeah i i often um i i'm i i think i'm a bit weird that i like to go with the flow with um thrillers and crime novels but um this one i really was um begging to know um who done it um, yes which is i think is, a, is an excellent sign um contrasting owen is the character of kate who's probably the more familiar archetype of this kind of suburban contemporary psychological thriller um, she's kind intelligent 
um, but she's stuck in the role and of stay-at-home mum. And she's a mother, mom. a mother, yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and then she's in relationship with Owen, the psychologist, and that relationship is problematic, um, and there's secrets yeah. and there's shame. What makes Kate tick? Um, so I kind of had to work. So whereas I came to the book knowing very much who Owen was and what I wanted to write about and and what I was going to do with him, I wasn't so sure about Kate. Um, I wasn't sure what sort of person she was going to turn out to be. And in fact, I only sort of, so what she's actually reacting to most of the time is something that happened in her marriage the year before we meet her, uh, which is that she, um, she accused her husband of having an affair and did something really bad trying to uncover this affair. Um, and so she's living in a state of shame, <laughs> which we don't know. The reader won't know what 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 has brought about this state of shame um, until quite a way into the book. So she's living in a state of shame and she knows there's something wrong at the heart of her marriage and she knows there's something dark going on. But she mm. cannot ask the questions because she has totally lost the moral high ground. Um so she's just walking, literally walking. Well, she's not literally. She's walking on eggshells the whole time because she knows that their marriage is just one one poorly timed comment away from just collapsing. Um, and But then worse than that is her feeling of dread and suspicion starts to spread beyond her husband into other areas of her family, which, again, I won't mention because it's a spoiler. So, so yeah, so her role is really just all about foreshadowing and, and, and sort of do that sort of dark feeling of dread that something is not right and she cannot put her finger on the thing that is not right. Yes. So she's flailing around trying to work out what it might be. So that's really her, her role in the book. Yeah, she certainly um, gets your heart palpitating when you read her bits. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then there's the the character of Sapphire, um, yeah. who's the first character we encounter, um, yeah. and you thrust her, thrust the reader right um, into her world. You know, she's she's she again is like super isolated, um, but uh, hers is through a, a whole different lens. She sees her world through uh, the lens of childhood trauma, um, yes. and you know she's. She's had this um, relationship with Rowan as as a psychologist um, to try and deal with that. Um, she's still very much a child. She's still a when we meet. Um, how do you go about constructing a character who's had uh, this kind of taboo or unspeakable experience define her, um, but still let her be really quirky and weird and wonderful in her own way? <laughs> Yeah, she's a, she's a bit of a geek, isn't she? Mm. Um, yeah, so the interesting thing about Sapphire was uh, originally the book was only going to be from the perspectives of Owen and Kate. I was only going to tell the story from their perspective. And then there's a chapter early on where Kate is talking about an old patient of Rowan's who was a young, beautiful young girl uh, called Sapphire Maddox who'd been damaged as a child. Um and the minute I wrote this name, Sapphire Maddox, on the page and this beautiful young girl who'd been damaged, I immediately just thought, I really want to know more about this girl. I want I want to I want to be her as well. Um, so because I, I, she, you know, she had emerged um, as one of Rowan's patients, so I immediately knew she must have some very complicated backstory um, and some sort of psychological scarring. I was going to have to have to come up with and have to um, 
you know write about mm. um, but yeah so she came from you know from from the shadows and just jumped out at me and made me want to write about her and I immediately started writing her in the first person because that's quite often if if a, if a character comes to me unexpectedly and I haven't so I haven't spent months thinking about them before I start writing um the best way for me to get to know them is to write them in the first person and have them tell me as well as the reader who they are what their story is what happened why it happened um so yeah so she was very very immediate um and very much just told me who she was and yeah she's she's just a she's super cool she's a geek but she's beautiful she's um popular but she's not interested in her friends um she's loved but she chooses to not not be with the people who love her um she yeah she chooses discomfort um in so many ways from self-harming to the lifestyle that she chooses as the book develops mm. uh, so yeah she, mm. she was such fun to write yeah fascinating the, the, there's a lot to root for in in all the characters um would sapphire be the one you enjoyed writing the most yes generally the one yeah. the, the, the characters who i write in the first person because they've told me to <laughs> basically <laughs> are all they're always the most fun to write without a doubt that's there that's that's the fun way to write a character but it doesn't but I wouldn't want to write all my books in the first person because then it loses its power so I ha- I'm very very choosy about which characters I write in the first person and a lot of my novels don't have any first person narratives in them at all um but yeah if you ever read my books and there's someone talking to you in the first person you can guarantee that that was my favorite character to to write definitely well, I'm looking at some of your other books on our website and um, the five star reviews our customers have left on them, as well as the different um, publisher blurbs that are on there. Um, and they all um, they all say addictive um, and <laughs> in, in big letters and yeah. um, and that uh, wonderful adjective unput downable. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, My books don't sit around on people's bedside tables for very long by the sound of it. <laughs> um, do you think that thrillers are best? Um, gobbled down or yes. do you get value out of uh, ruminating over them no i absolutely i like <clears throat> a book that makes me gobble it down is in in my view a superior book to one that's taken me three weeks to read um that's how I, because that's how i like to read i don't want a book to last me for ages and ages and ages and i would <clears throat> certainly that's my one of my main intentions when when mm. i when i when I plot my novels is to make sure that the plotting um, never lets up and I want the reader to just keep on going and get and I you know I write very short chapters because I know from my own experience of being a reader that the shorter the chapters are the more you'll read (laughs) and I make sure that at the end of every chapter there's a little lingering question mark that's making the reader think oh Oh, I thought I knew what that was, but now I'm now I've finished this chapter. I'm not sure, and now I need to read the next chapter to find out if I was right. So, I, yeah, that's that to me is how a, a, a thriller should be written and how it should be read, also very much. Um, can you still read the the genre for pleasure, or, or do you, do you oh, just definitely. feel totally compelled to compare and contrast the books? No, with your no, own? no. No, I don't. I know a lot of writers who feel like that or they read a different genre if they're writing in one genre uh, or they don't read at all when they're writing. Um, but no, I, <clears throat> I I'm, I'm completely and utterly 
I compartmentalize my writing from everything in my life. I write for three hours a day. Um, and the rest of the time, uh, my, 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 my mind is my own to do with as I please. It's not influenced by anything else that I do during the course of the day. Um, so I can happily read anything I want, watch anything I want, um, be in any sort of mood, Mm. um, and then still go back the next day and write the book. Um, yeah. When you get inspiration for a story like this, um, do you, is it news stories, is it true crime podcasts, something like that, or? No, no, it's, it's never anything as, as sort of wide ranging and, and clear, clear as that. It's. It's usually, yeah, so for example, this the, the inspiration for this book was seeing this guy mm. uh, walking through the snow. So there is a scene at the beginning of the book where Owen is walking through the snow past all these school children throwing snowballs. And that was my first sight of this man who I saw walking through the snow with the children throwing snow. So that actually happened. And that was the thing that stuck in my head and lodged itself in there and made me want to write a, uh, made me want to write a story for this guy. Um, and then it's a matter of just sort of adding, adding things to the to the mix, um, and those things can come from anywhere. But no, there is never as 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 simple as oh, I heard a really or I read a really good news story about such and such, and that would make a really good idea for a book. It's much more um, organic. Much, yes, definitely, definitely. I love it. Um, when do you compose a story like this? Um, and this might be a dumb question, um, so forgive me. But uh, <laughs> do you ever do you ever become frightened by your own content? Like, have you ever no. had a a story or a character who's who you, who's too dark for you, and you've just had to put them back on the shelf? Well, in my own books, or in books I read. Uh, no, no, in 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 your own invention. No, I mean, so for example, there's a character in um, Then She Was Gone called Noel who um, is the creepiest, darkest, most horrific person (laughs) in every respect, from the way she looks to the way she smells to the way her mind works to the things she does. Um, And no, I mean, I I, I just absolutely relished every second of writing her character and look back on her with a sense of pride that I could have created someone as monstrous as her. Um, mm. certainly doesn't have doesn't leave any bad lingering sense of wrongness inside me that I could have created such a person or that she might really exist still or that she's haunting me in some way um, no it's just you know job done mission accomplished that's great it's like you can really just leave them on the page and and dust your fingers off and go on to the next one very much so that is very much how I write I yeah I I'm yeah, it is. It's a compartmentalization, and it almost sounds sociopathic to be able to do that because I know a lot of writers take this stuff around with them, um, and you know they can't write bad stuff when their children are around, or or or, the, or their mood carries in, uh, carries over into the way they deal with their family after they've written a particularly harrowing scene and all that sort of. But that's just not. No, that's not how I am. That's not how I do it. It's a. It's something I do for three hours a day that has no impact um, on anything for the, the the remaining 21 hours of my day at all um this book would make um in my opinion a, a great mini series or a movie yeah. um do you have uh aspirations for screenwriting or having your novels adapted 
Uh, yes, yeah, so that's two separate questions. I would love, love to have one of my novels adapted into a, a, a series or a, a film. Absolutely. And I don't know any writer who wouldn't, because um, it's just, it would be such an adventure and such a journey to see it all come to, you know, come to life on the screen. Um, so, yes, and I've got four books under option uh, in Hollywood at the moment. So I'm hoping that one of them, please God, one of them at least will get made into something because none of my books have ever come to, or those options have ever come to fruition. Um, but the, the the other question is whether I'd be interested in writing a screenplay and that is an absolute resounding no. Um, <laughs> I'm a one trick pony. I know that. I know my limitations. I don't want to learn a new skill or a new craft. I'm not interested in learning how to do something I've not done before. I know how to write novels now and I just want to just keep writing novels until I die um, and not not have to do anything else um, so yeah so I'm very very happy to hand my hand my work over to somebody else and let them do the the slog of turning it into a screenplay <laughs> um well when you're not um uh, writing for three hours a day um how have you been keeping sane during all the tumult of 2020 oh um well I'm I'm really low maintenance I don't need a lot going on in my life to be happy I spend a lot of time sitting down I have to I have to talk myself into standing up and doing things a lot of the time um because once I've sat down I'm, I'm I always say to my husband don't let me sit down don't let me sit down I've got so much to do and I know that once mm. I've sat down I can't get up again so it's been fine for me I've, I've the, the weather in 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 London has been amazing from March all the way through now still I mean we've had such unseasonably wonderful weather so I've spent a lot of time outdoors I've got a really good tan um I've put on some weight I've read a lot of books and just yeah it, it really hasn't I haven't found it hard to fill the time at all um I mean it's been it's been easy for the easy for a person like me <laughs> and lazy bones <laughs> no it sounds like you're living life to the full in spite of everything yes um, yeah exactly what I want to hear um <laughs> is there is there is there a new novel on the way already there is yes having, said, on? yes having having made it sound like all I've done since lockdown is sit around sort of eating and and um um you know sunbathing um I have actually written half a novel as well um, which I always put I always put my novel aside for the for the long summer holidays here for the school holidays, which is a habit I got into when my children were much younger and needed me to be a sort of available for them during the school holidays. Um, and now they don't need me to be available for them during the school holidays, but I've got out of the habit of, of writing during them anyway. So I always take a break um, and I will go back to that in September when the schools go back. And that would that should be finished by December um and published again this time next year and at the moment it has a working title of dark place um Ooh. but yes it's it yes it's 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 funnily enough it's dark um and yes so that should be out this time next year very more exciting of, more of what we love yes um, lisa, yes. lisa jill you've um uh, been a joy thank you very much for joining us first thing in the morning and um appearing on the Booktopia podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Invisible Girl is out now from Penguin Random House, and you can find it along with all the books discussed today at yeah.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... 
you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au Thank you.